0: Welcome to Academics of PA. I'm Will Hatcher here with Bruce McDonald. Uh, today on the podcast, we have the president and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration, Teresa Gert. So Bruce, you, uh, you had to handle the interview because life happened for me. So uh, how did it go? Yeah, I did. You know, it wasn't too bad enough.
1: We survived without you, but of course missed you in the process. It was a good interview. It was kind of interesting to learn a little bit about what NAPA is and what they do. It's definitely something that was outside of kind of my preemptive understanding of the organization. So I think it went well.
0: Yeah, I, I, of course, listened to it and I really enjoyed the conversation, learning a little bit more about uh, the National Academy of Public Administration and the Congressional Charter. And luckily, it sounded like you you two kept it really serious without me on there talking about my cat. (laughs) (laughs) But I, <laughs> oh, okay. So I guess it's just when I'm on the podcast, we keep in the uh, cat references. That we do. I like it.
1: Podcast all the way. <laughs> but,
0: yeah, but I was really interested in, in how she covers the history of the organization in the interview and the type of work of the organization. But an important part that I think our listeners will really benefit from is the information about the reports that they have and how they use those and in your research, but, but mainly too in using as case studies in your classes.
1: Yeah, I'll admit I had absolutely no idea beforehand really about the reports. Like I knew that they did work for government organizations when you know kind of help was needed. But outside of that, I think a lot of us who aren't fellows of NAPA really don't have a good idea of what they do or even kind of what they have available on their website. So I think it was a, a neat introduction for me and kind of a neat experience and conversation to kind of have. And just learn who they are and what they are really about.
0: But also I like how their their initiative looking at the top questions in public administration. And I would like to uh for them to branch out, you know, looking at beyond the research institutions. I know they talked about that, but that's that's an important initiative too, they have going on.
1: Yeah. Well, should we give the interview a listen?
0: Let's do it. All right.
1: Here we go. Thank you, Terry, for joining me today here on this episode. We're here to talk about the National Academy of Public Administration and to talk with you a little bit about your career as well as how people within the field can get involved.
2: Thanks, Bruce. I'm really happy to be here.
1: Well, First thing I want to do is kind of ask you to give a little bit of a background in terms of what the National Academy is, kind of what its role is, how it was formed, kind of that nice little base of understanding for us, if you don't mind.
2: I'd love to because it's a great history. Um, the National Academy of Public Administration was established in nineteen sixty seven by James Webb, who was then the director or the administrator of, of NASA and and he said at that point kind of he knew where to go for science and technology advice, he went to the National Academy of Sciences, but there wasn't anybody around to really help him with that same level of expertise when it came to public administration and governance and managing and establishing government agencies. So he got together some of the recent past presidents of the American Society of Public Administration and formed the National Academy of Public Administration. So they then started to uh, gather additional people to the membership on an annual basis. And in 1984, the organization received a congressional charter. So now we like the National Academies of Science, are a congressionally chartered nonprofit organization that's made up of fellows with deep expertise in our particular assignment. So for us it's obviously public administration. And we're here to provide our very best advice uh, to government agencies at all levels, federal, state and local, about how to really make government work better through public administration.
1: Uh, if I could ask, what does it mean to be congressionally chartered?
2: so we were actually created and established then in public law so we have a charter that gives us our mission that requires us to be a 501c3 nonprofit um, that establishes the means by which we can generate revenue which is our funded studies but we are not a government organization where we don't receive appropriations through the federal appropriation cycle but we do have that charter that gives us a specific mission and that gives us specific recognition It also then enables members of Congress to specifically direct studies and reports to us through congressional language. They can't appropriate the money for us, but they can direct a federal agency to engage with us on a particular topic that is of interest to them.
1: Are you free to kind of give an example of what one of those topics might have been in the past?
2: Well, sure, I can talk about one that's going on right now. So um, you might be familiar with some recent Testimony before different congressional committees on modern um, IT and social media and privacy and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. There used to be an organization called the Office of Technology Assessment that was created to provide advice on science and technology to members of Congress. That organization was disestablished in the 1980s and nothing ever took its place. So after these hearings uh, last year that really were challenging, members of Congress decided that they might need that kind of technological advice again. And so they commissioned through the Congressional Research Service, the National Academy of Public Administration, to provide advice on uh, either existing federal organizations or other means by which we would recommend that members of Congress have access to nonpartisan advice on different topics in science and technology so that they can legislate appropriately.
1: I think it's kind of interesting, one of, I'm trying to think of a a good way of phrasing this, I think there's a lot of people who know that the National Academy exists, but I think that there's a kind of a little bit of a cognitive dissonance, or at least a little bit of a distance between what people understand that the Academy does versus what it actually does.
2: I think that's probably fair. Um, I've only been uh, at NAPA for uh, two years, just starting my third year as the president, and one of the first things that really um, was obvious to me was that we had not been very good in sort of um, advancing our own cause and making sure that more people were uh, aware both of the academy and who comprises its membership, but also what it can do to support uh, governance and government at all levels. So we've been engaged over the last couple of years pretty significantly in a social media campaign, broader uh, Awareness raising campaign of the academy, how it works, what it can do for different organizations, and so we feel like we're starting to get the word out about that. But right now, there is still a lot of uh, word of mouth that gets us around. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have the nomination process going on right now for, I guess, new fellows. I'm not really a junior faculty anymore, but when I was a junior faculty, and you know, now that I'm a couple of years into being associate. You know, that was kind of the one time a year when everyone was talking about you know who was going to be the new fellows, and there was this thing out there. And so you know, hearing that there is this application between what the academy does and what kind of needs the government has to say, you know, here's for instance the example of the office of information technology example that you gave, the kinds of work that they that you do actually for the government. I think is fairly interesting.
2: I think our fellows give the Academy a really unique value proposition. We have just over 900 total fellows of the Academy. So, as you mentioned, you have to be nominated and then elected into membership. It's not um, a broad kind of association that people can just decide to join. But of those 900 fellows, they are divided almost evenly into thirds. Uh, About a third of those fellows are from the academic branch of public administration. So, they have been or are uh, prominent faculty, prominent researchers. Many of the deans of the large schools of public administration are academy fellows. Another third uh, are former or current um, senior officials at the federal level. So they may have been um, political appointees. They may have been career executives or they may still be one or the other of those. But they're folks who have really broad experiences in leading government organizations at the highest levels and, and delivering results. The other third come predominantly from the state and local government level, or they may be in private sector now, but we're in one of the other either academic or federal state and local before. And so we have this unique ability to address government administration in an integrated way at all levels And then combine that with the most current academic research to really give a well-rounded depth of advice to government officials wherever they are. And I think that really sets us apart from a lot of the other good government organizations that focus maybe on one of those categories, might be uh, experts at state government or experts at local government or experts at the federal level, but they don't have that integrated depth of perspective and um, experience that academy fellows have and can bring to the questions of governance.
1: I kind of think that there's an advantage to having everything in one sp- space because there's very little government interacts with or the government has needs to understand better. It's going to be one area focused.
2: Well, we're seeing that right now with a, with a really prominent topic that we're working on in terms of grants management. So, you know, The federal government gives out almost as much in grants each year as it gives out in contracts. It's a huge way that that federal resources reach the executing organizations at the state and local level. And yet, the folks who are engaged in writing those grants or governing or measuring those grants at the federal level have virtually no interaction with their counterparts at the state and local level. So we've engaged our fellows, many of whom are expert in program evaluation, in metrics and data sharing to work uh, in a collaborative group with other grant making federal agencies and the Office of Management and Budget and bring in those counterparts from the state and local levels to really help create a holistic approach to grants management so that it starts by how you write the grant on the front end and you get feedback from everybody that's going to be playing all the way to how you establish your performance measures and how you create the data system so that everybody's got common views and common understanding of the programs. And I think that's something that really we are uniquely positioned to do.
1: So if I can ask, when a project comes in for you all to work with, is that something that the fellows predominantly handle or what interaction and engagement do you have from the fellows on projects versus the staff that you have? Sure.
2: We have a small permanent research staff here at the Academy that we can add to on an augmentation basis with some other folks that are uh, part time employees. And we develop those research teams in a matrix structure so that we make sure we bring our best research talent that's matched to the questions at hand. And then above that research staff team, we usually put a panel of fellows, somewhere between three and five fellows who have expertise or experience in that particular topic area and the panel of fellows provides the strategic guidance to the study team engages with the client organization to understand exactly what they're after to share their insights and expertise and then the the fellows on the panel actually own the report it is a report of the panel itself not really a report of the academy and that helps us in a couple of ways it gives every report that we do The feel uh, and the characteristics of having a blue ribbon panel, if you were actually going to go out and set one of those up, every one of our panels are like that. But it also then um, ensures that the academy as the institution can remain true to our nonpartisan requirement as established in our charter. So because the reports are reports of the fellows themselves uh, and not the institution, that helps give us a little bit of arm's length distance if that's ever necessary
1: has there ever been any kind of concern or criticism that the line has been crossed to become a little bit too political?
2: Not in my experience. Um, You know, I I don't know if you went way, way back. There might've been one, but I think the, the Academy works really hard to make sure that we stay not just bipartisan, but nonpartisan. And we make our best recommendations that are generated out of a genuine understanding of how to make the government system work better sort of regardless of what the policies are that it's working towards.
1: I think that makes sense. I think there's definitely a benefit. The more neutral you can stay, the better able you are to affect the decisions that go on because you're not seen as being advantaged to one side.
2: Right, right. Um, and especially these days, it's very important. Um, <laughs> as, as I think, you know, we've seen more and more of the think tanks and the consultancies sort of align on one side or the other it's really important to be able to look at the systems themselves because, you know, if you're going to do grant writing better, then that makes the system work better regardless of the policies that the grants are putting forward. It's just really important to think about how you can find and share and scale the best practices in government. And I think that's, again, really really relies on our reputation for non-partisanship it keeps us it keeps us relevant in today's really polarized political discussion
1: oh absolutely thinking of a lot of the big conversations that are going on right now on the hill or in any level of government and most of them are inherent managerial questions but the managerial question does get lost on that political side and it's easy to get trapped into it fairly quickly
2: right so we try to focus on, is maybe the question will be, help us understand this program. Is this program working or is this program not working? We've also had a lot of questions recently that I would put into the organizational assessment budget. Um, so leaders of different government organizations have approached us to say, uh, ask questions like, can you help us understand whether our organizational alignment makes sense and supports our statutory mission? Are we, are we properly structured to do the work that we are assigned? And inside that, um, are our leaders exercising good leadership behavior? Are our programs working the way we expect? Are our employees happy and satisfied? And do they understand and relate well to their senior leaders? And so there's this really kind of interesting set of questions these days around how different organizations, government organizations, are structured to be most effective. Um, I think one of the other things we're starting to see is this discussion about the future of work and are government organizations really taking advantage of all the tools at their disposal to move towards a new model of work that could improve customer experience, citizen experience with the government? Are they properly positioned to deploy the latest uh, artificial intelligence tools to really amp up the output and the value of the government services that are being delivered. So that's a really interesting line of inquiry as well.
1: What do you see as kind of being the draw or what's bringing out that line of inquiry?
2: I think, you know, there's been a sense for a long time, certainly at the federal level that, you know, we grew and grew and grew government sort of in the mid 20th century and now the question really is are we structured for the 21st century well and this administration as many before it have have proposed a series of reorganizations and realignments and the question i think is at the at the crux of all of that is to what end what do we want to reorganize to be able to do better and so i think you know the, the wise government leaders are asking that question how do we structure our organization to be effective now, but also in the future, which is coming up on us pretty quickly.
1: As a organization, y'all have looked in terms of helping other government organizations think about how they are structured in order to achieve their goals. Given that the academy has been around since the 60s, is that something that y'all have done internally to kind of go, well, here's what the academy is? Is it set up how we need it to, in order to kind of start addressing the same kinds of things that are going to be going on in the public realm? know, what's changing around the environment around us that we need to be able to address.
2: So I think there are two parts to your question. One, what is the academy doing inside its own organization to ensure that we stay relevant for the for the next 50 years, for example? But are we also engaging in some independent thought and research about how government agencies should be doing that? So the answer to both of those questions is yes. <laughs> um, Within the academy itself, we've spent a lot of the last couple of years really trying to strengthen our internal uh, administration processes. So we got off of our own uh, self-maintained servers and we moved our systems to the cloud. We've gotten more engaged in social media. We've created an entirely new website that uh, is beginning to foster more engagement opportunities between our fellows and the academy proper we've moved some payment functions to being online as opposed to having to send in a check, you know. So those sorts of things seem pretty trivial, but we've also instituted video teleconference so that many of our meetings now can be um, attended remotely. And that's a big thing when 900 fellows um, live and work all across the country and can't just make every meeting that's held in D.C. So we are doing that internally to help provide more opportunities for our fellows to engage, but also for the public to engage with us and trying to be cognizant of what work looks like in the 21st century. But we've also done that as some thought leadership more broadly. Um, So we talked a little bit about the academy having its funded studies for particular organizations to look at particular problems. We also have what we call standing panels, which is uh, I, I call it sort of of fellows, by fellows, for fellows, right? Um, and this is where groups of fellows get together around particular topics and explore um, the emerging research and practices, and try to uh, push the push forward the boundaries of sort of public administration thought. Um, and one of those panels that we have is the standing panel on executive organizations and management. And last January, they published a series of papers on organizational health and uh, effectiveness that was really important, I think, because uh, at the federal level, there's a sense that the performance metrics for agencies really weren't measuring the value that those organizations brought, but more importantly, that people really weren't getting after the underlying behaviors and were just sort of gaming the metrics. And so We took a look at how you could really create effective, healthy government organizations. Um, And I think these papers are really important, and they formed the basis of a lot of the things we are doing in terms of those organizational assessments and culture assessments, talking about how do you engage middle management leaders in the direct improvement of their own organizations? How do you create learning agendas? so that agencies are always re-examining their own programs and thinking about how to do them better and executing proper uh, program evaluation techniques. And how do you measure the engagement of your employees? And if it's not great, how do you specifically address particular issues there? So those are the kinds of things that our fellows really are uniquely positioned to do and that we think we are uniquely positioned to bring to the conversation.
1: I'm actually uh, reading through the website right now. so <laughs> ah, It's interesting. And I say it's interesting. One of the things we've had kind of come up in a lot of our podcasts is that a lot of the research that takes place in public administration is very kind of theoretically oriented. And there's not necessarily that clear application behind what a lot of the work that we do. And so it's interesting to kind of see some of that. Come out and play in different kind of ways in terms of actually addressing issues in a way that directly has that practical
2: application. Most of our reports that are done for public sector organizations are um, available uh, on our website on the studies uh, tab, so you can pull those up and look at them. It really. a a really strong focus of the academy is to bring the most current research agenda to the practice of public administration, and then even to take it one level down further in a particular organization. So you'll see, you know, when you look at our studies, we looked at an organizational assessment, for example, of the Maritime Administration inside the Department of Transportation. I won't bore you with all the details, but it's a fascinating look at what the missions of that organization are and what have accrued to that organization over time. And as taking a step back and saying, do they really all still belong to the Department of Transportation? And if they do, how can you better structure that organization to be effective at that, at that set of mission assignments? Um, I mean, we've looked at all kinds of different organizations. Uh, we just did last year, an assessment for the state of Oklahoma Looking at the Oklahoma Corporation Commission, which was established in Oklahoma's state constitution to manage commerce and the different sorts of uh, industries inside the state of Oklahoma. You might imagine that those industries have changed a bit since Oklahoma passed their state constitution. And yet the organization of the commission itself hasn't changed because it's embedded in their state constitution. So they came to us and said, can you help us think about what we're doing, how we're doing it? and how we might do it better, and what should we think about changing? Um, so I think those are really important questions, um, and it, they go everything from organizational assessments to programs. This program's been around for 50 years. Is it still relevant? Is it still having its impact? Are there things we should change? And um, so it's fascinating, then, to bring the most current research to those kinds of practical questions. I love your your discovery. (laughs) I mean, you're just going, Oh wow, this is cool.
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's one of those things that as I said earlier, we all, you know, know the NAP is there, but there's for a lot of us up until that point that we get nominated or we start having more colleagues who are fellows, a lot of us don't necessarily know too much about what Napa does. And so up until that point, I think just If there's the perception that you don't necessarily have the opportunity to get involved, a lot of people just don't go back and actually look.
2: A great point. And so one of the things I'd love to share with especially the academic community is the opportunity to use the academy's uh, published reports as case studies in your classes where you're looking at perhaps, uh, you know, you might be looking at a particular policy and you could see whether or not we've done any work on those policies or in particular organizations. Or if you want to drill down into a particular uh, organization, and you know have your students kind of research that organization, create the you know the the challenging question, and then think about how the academy's reports might then serve as a case study about how that organization or those policies could be better executed. Um, it, it, there's a tremendous opportunity to do that and connect your students directly with the the study reports that the academy is engaged in.
1: Oh no, that's an absolutely great idea. I'm thinking of in terms of you know my classes, the examples that I use in the case studies are based off of either something that went horribly wrong in the news with a local <laughs> government usually where somebody managed to steal some money, which doesn't happen too often. So we don't have a lot of instances of where things go right or based off of just, I happen to know somebody that works in a local government in in the nearby area.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think there's a lot of MPA classes that have that same kind of issue. And so helping people to be aware that there is a resource out there of a wide variety of different types of things, looks at government, everything from local all the way to the federal on a variety of topics is kind of a handy, useful thing.
2: Uh, Absolutely, and one of the things that we think is especially important in the Academy's reports is that we don't come in and just audit a program and give it a grade and say, well, you know, you could be be doing better. We actually try in almost all of our reports to provide a series of recommendations that we think if an organization took action on those recommendations, it would measurably improve or address the shortfalls that we're identifying. And so I think that's a very important piece. I think of it as the roadmap to improvement, right? We don't just grade the paper, and then walk away. We want to be there to say, here are the things you could do. Um, whether you can do them yourself or whether you need to bring in extra help is a different question, but there are certainly steps you can take to help resolve the particular challenge or issue that we're all looking at.
1: So one of the things you do have on your website, and you had mentioned when we had emailed back and forth beforehand, was the Grand Challenges. I don't know if it's a platform or program that you will have going on. Uh, if you would, can you tell me kind of what the Grand Challenges is?
2: Sure. Um, it's actually a year long campaign that the Academy is engaged in. Um, we started it last November and we will unveil the list of Grand Challenges in public administration um, this coming November. But most important, what we're trying to do through this is create really an agenda for the next decade for the field of public administration that can. Cr- can give some focus to the work that engages all kinds of different organization players in the public administration space to address the real challenges, not just theoretically, but also in practice that can actually help address some of those issues that you and I talked about sort of at the beginning in terms of polarization and effectiveness of government. We're asking really two questions. One is what should government be working on over the next next decade to uh, really ensure that all of our citizens have the opportunity to participate and that the government is, is doing um, what it needs to do, uh, and specifically then what are the public administration aspects of that. And the second is a more public management sort of question, which is how should government do it? And there we're thinking, you know, how does government do long-term planning? How does it do budgeting and uh, finance? How does it do its intergovernmental relations? So, we've been going through a period of public input that'll end on April 30th, where anybody anywhere can submit an idea in this Grand Challenges conversation through the website. And then we will spend a, a good portion of the summer sorting through all of that with our steering committee, figuring out what the big themes are, how they relate, and how all the pieces fit un- into those. And then we'll unveil sort of our list in November. Uh, And we, again, don't intend that to be just sort of a here's the top 10 things we think, and then we walk away. But we really want to use that as a way to build a common agenda across the field that affects everything from curriculum development to research projects to practical engagement so that we don't just say what the problems are, but we also, again, provide that path forward to develop solutions that will really, a decade in, change how our government how effective our government can be.
1: Part of me wants to ask, what are some of the challenges that people have submitted by also knowledge?
2: (laughs) (laughs) We are trying very much not to uh, prejudice any one particular input, right? But you can see uh, if you drill down a little bit on the website, in the what category, for example, we've provided some broad categories to say, You know, what should the government be doing in the space of science, technology, and innovation, equity and inclusion, security and resilience, economic development and fiscal sustainability, and individual well being as really broad categories so that we figure whatever your idea, it probably fits into one of those. Or if it doesn't, we have an other category, (laughs) right? But as an example, you know, you might be convinced that changing climate is the biggest thing that the government has to worry about. And that's important, but our question then would be, what are the public administration pieces of that that specifically have to get addressed? And then you could say, well, there's zoning requirements, there's building codes, there's um, insurance you know, regulations and standards, there's uh, all kinds of resiliency sorts of questions that might be within the government space and that would also align with the public administration agenda. So sort of figuring that part out and then thinking about, OK, well, if that's really becomes one of the, the list of grand challenges, how then do we create a, a progress agenda that really addresses the structural, institutional sorts of questions around that and the process questions and provides some recommendations for improvement?
1: Man, that is heavy.
2: <laughs> we think it's vital. Um, you know, a lot oh, of people... Absolutely. A lot of people think that, you know, that they know what the government should be working on. We like to think that people in government know what they should be working on. So the question is, why aren't they? And how can the field of public administration help really uh, either clear the obstacles or at least enumerate the obstacles so that they can be dealt with? And that, again, is a place where our nonpartisanship, I think, is important, where our ability to bring the perspective of all levels of government and academia to the table and our position, really, as the National Academy of Public Administration, make us, sort of put us uniquely in the center of that discussion. And so we want to be able to be a leader in that conversation and really drive meaningful change uh, so that, you know, a decade on from now, we aren't still wringing our hands over the same problems, but we've made some progress.
1: Well, I think the idea of you know, the question of what must government do over the next decade, it's easy until you have to like start kind of thinking about the well how do we start to address that because you know as your example of climate change well we need to address climate change but what does that look like and that's where the kind of thinking through what my answer to this would be actually quite difficult
2: (laughs) well and that's part of the reason i suspect that we haven't made a lot of progress is people have an understanding that fiscal stability for example is really important it's Generally considered a bad thing to run a trillion-dollar annual deficit, but what exactly would you do about that? And so, how would you change that? You know, what other sources of revenue? What other sorts of cost management things would you put in place? That's where it gets hard, and that's also why it's so important to have the conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm a budget and finance guy. I know very, very little about climate change, but I know it has to be massively expensive to address any of it. And so you have to deal with the financial side, but then I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, what would I be willing to give up in order to balance that out?
2: I I know we're not broadcasting this until May. And so you may take this out of the session, but we really want people to kind of think that through. And so we talked a lot to our fellows who are still in academia and said, make this a student project, really get your students to think practically about these kinds of things because- everybody's opinion here is valuable and the the window is open until April 30th. So you still have time to get your students involved too.
1: I think if I went and came back with, here's this grand idea that we have to come up with, not even what the answer is, just the kind of question. I think they might slaughter me in my sleeper, (laughs) shove a pillow in my face. I'm not quite sure which one.
2: I think you might find that that's exactly the kind of question they want to be asked. That's a
1: good point. I think you know, we are kind of pushed, or the reason we come back to a an MPA program or do a PhD in public administration is that we are interested in solving the answers.
2: Right, but so oftentimes the academic research, just by nature of the um, the publication standards, gets gets very very narrow in terms of uh, what it's looking at. Uh, And so we think it's important to kind of take a step back and say, these are really big questions. There are pieces of them that are small and focused um, and lend themselves to that kind of research. But much of this is really broad systems thinking. And so how do we bring a fresh approach? Maybe it's fresh words. Maybe it's fresh names. Uh, How do we bring a fresh approach that integrates the solution set in ways that people can genuinely take action on? And I think that's what people in public administration today really want. They're in it to solve the problem. So let's give them a voice in solving the problem.
1: Well, kind of thinking of the next step in terms of what comes out of this, you said you were planning to unveil what the challenges are going to be in November. Do you plan on kind of aligning the mission of the organization to kind of match up to ensure you meet them, create a standing panels to kind of address certain areas or once the unveiling is done, what comes next?
2: So there there are several steps that we think um, will come next. The first is the ones that the academy itself can control. And, and it's absolutely what you said. We will be aligning our standing panels toward the grand challenges so that they're focused on those particularly. For example, we already have a panel, uh, a standing panel on social equity. As we think about what the grand challenges might be, if it has to do with equity of opportunity or um, you know, uh, social safety nets and those kinds of things. I can imagine how the social equity panel, just as an example, could be aligned with those sorts of equity issues in the grand challenges. So the things that we can control, we will definitely start to align. What we also hope will start to happen, though, is that um, our schools of public administration will start to align themselves with one or more of the grand challenges. We watched what happened with the National Academy of Engineering, when they did their Grand Challenges campaign a few years ago. And that is really uh, what formed the nexus of their progress, progress, was that research institutions started to align with their engineering Grand Challenges. We think the same thing can happen in the public administration space that will give some focus to the research agenda, and we will start to have communities align around those universities and schools of public administration where there are industries or governments that also think that that is a particular focus for them. There may be uh, philanthropic funders who align with it. And so we'll start to create these communities of people who are interested in various stages of that particular grand challenge. Some may be interested in the research of it. Some may be interested in the local application. Some may be interested in the philanthropic application. But collectively, they form a community that can work the challenge at all levels of government with the research base, And then start to actually move solutions forward, both in the near term and the longer term. And then the National Academy of Public Administration becomes the, not the referee, but sort of the integrator or facilitator of those conversations. We may host um, a national conference or an international conference around a particular grand challenge where we are able to publicize and share the work that's going on, the progress that's being made and then encourage and invite more people into the solution space. So we see it as really a way of elevating the conversation in public administration, forming communities of interest around particular topics that really start to drive a much more rapid advance in the solution space. It should be really interesting. I don't know exactly what all the submissions are, but I can't wait to see them.
1: I am completely stuck on the, what would, if I was just submitting one, what would it be? Cause.
2: Well, if you're a budget and finance guy, my guess is you probably would think about fiscal sustainability, right? True. And so you could go anywhere from what did the demographics today tell us is going to happen to our entitlement programs. And is our revenue base comparable and able to handle those sorts of things? And if not, what sorts of changes do we need to make? And can you make those changes in entitlement programs separate from having ladders, new ladders of opportunity that that change the outcomes for folks in the long term? And what does that cost? Not that I'm trying to write one for you, but go ahead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I'm completely distracted now because um, a lot <laughs> of my work does focus on how we perceive and how we understand fiscal health, uh, which seems to be something that's fairly straightforward but it's a remarkably difficult concept it feels very much almost kind of stuck in the the weeds of but then again i suppose it is why it is a grand challenge it's just not a current challenge
2: right right i mean uh, you know if you want to get down in the weeds of course you know the most effective revenue generators are irs agents right but the difference between what you pay them on a salary basis and what they generate for the country in terms of revenue both through tax processing and tax enforcement and yet we continue to think that the IRS is a bad organization and we shrink it so so do we really understand what fiscal health is and how we go about getting it i think is an interesting question
1: <laughs> yeah i don't think we do i think so i posted on my twitter feed since we are recording on april 15th so It is timely for being tax day. That's right. Every year on tax day, some relative starts sending me emails or I get voicemails from people going, I have a tax question and this is all your fault. I'm like, no, no, it's the one day of the year where everybody likes to blame budgeting and finance people for their problems. And I'm like, it's the one day of the year that you're responsible for it. But we make sure the rest of the year, everything you need is provided for you.
2: (laughs) You know, could we simplify um, our tax system? Could we go to the the Nordic countries' approach of sharing everybody's tax records all the time? All kinds mm-hmm. of interesting questions. Um, and there are all kinds of revenue generating opportunities that are actually allowed in statute that we choose not to uh, enforce. And so what if we actually enforced all the revenue generation that was on the books? What would that look like? Would we need more taxes? Perhaps not important questions for the long-term fiscal health of the country.
1: This is true. Join the team. Well, I guess I have right about two weeks to come up with what my questions are going to be. That's right. You do. (laughs) April 30th. Which Next week is the Western Social Science Association's annual conference, and there's a large budget and finance group that goes to it every year for our own little track. So inevitably, I'm sure I'll be sitting here at the bar after the panels (laughs) on each of the days going, all right, let's...
2: I think this would make a fascinating bar conversation.
1: (laughs) I think so, but I'm also slightly nervous as to what we would come back with, but I think that's also (laughs) okay. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you on.
2: It's been my pleasure, Bruce. Thanks so much for the conversation.